We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. The CRTC is considering banning American conservative television channel Fox News from Canadian cable packages. A Vancouver man has opened a brick-and-mortar retail store to sell heroin, cocaine, meth, MDMA, and a host of other drugs in the city's downtown east side. Alberta NDP leader Rachel Nolly says she's seeking to attract conservative voters who aren't sold on Danielle Smith. And despite Prime Minister Justin Trudeau's assertion that he didn't know China was targeting conservative MP Michael Chong and his family, it's been revealed that a 2021 intelligence report was sent directly to Trudeau's national security advisor. Hello, Canada. It's Friday, May 5th, and this is the True North Daily Brief. I'm Rachel Emanuel. And I'm Andrew Lawton. We've got you covered with all the news you need to know. Let's discuss the top stories of the day and the True North exclusives you won't hear anywhere else. Following a complaint from the government-funded trans rights group, EGAL Canada, the CRTC is considering banning American conservative television channel Fox News from Canadian cable packages. The regulatory agency opened part one of proceedings on the banning of Fox News on Wednesday, and people can now submit comments on the matter. EGAL Canada, which describes itself as, quote, Canada's leading organization for two SLGBTQIA people at issues, called the banning of Fox News in April after then-primetime host Tucker Carlson called out their response to the Nashville school shooting. Carlson has since left Fox News. However, EGAL Canada says it still wants to see the channel removed. Spokesperson Jennifer Boyce told True North, quote, EGAL Canada is pleased to see the CRTC open part one into the removal of Fox News from Canadian distribution. The issue of Fox News inciting hate, violence, and discrimination in its programming extends beyond one individual. EGAL received millions of dollars in funding from the federal and provincial governments. Andrew, this story is absolutely absurd. When we first covered that EGAL Canada had made this request, I was pretty aware that there was a possibility that the CRTC might actually look into it because that's just where we are in Canada. However, it's happening quite a bit more quickly than I expected. Maybe the only positive in the matter is that it looks like they are actually consulting the public. So conservative Canadians could potentially spam them and submit their comments on the matter and say, no, you can't be banning Fox News in Canada. That's absurd. The problem with that, though, is that when you start crowdsourcing feedback on this, the people that are really rabidly against it are going to weigh in and say this thing is a menace and should be taken away. Most people in the country who don't watch Fox News will say, well, I don't really care, so I'm going to get, uh, I'm just not going to weigh in on this. And the problem is that you can't actually democratize something like this when you're talking about free speech. The question is, do we want to be a country where activist groups can literally take channels off the air or not? And I I fear we're moving more and more in that direction. It certainly seems that way. It's very disheartening that this is even something that we need to discuss right now, that we're so keen on limiting freedom of speech and freedom of expression across this country. 
Of course, I suspect the CRTC will make a large argument that it's not, you know, Canadian content as it is an American news channel. But the reality of it is that they don't like Fox News's conservative bias. That being said, Fox News is currently facing many of its own problems with its support absolutely plummeting since showing Tucker Carlson the door. So, you know, there's a potential that conservative Canadians won't really care that much since they have shown their top anchor the door and haven't really given people a reason why. <laughs> yeah, that's the great irony of this is that there might not be anyone left defending Fox News at this point because, you know, the activist groups and conservatives might be equally uh, disdainful of it at this point. A Vancouver man has opened a brick-and-mortar retail store in the city's downtown east side to literally sell drugs. This store is selling heroin, cocaine, meth, MDMA, and a host of other substances. Uh, this is in the east side, which has been plagued by homelessness and addiction issues for years. Uh, Jerry Martin, according to Vice News, opened the drugstore on Wednesday. Uh, now, in January, BC began a three-year drug decriminalization program for possession of small amounts of opioids, cocaine, MDMA, and meth. Now, the pilot did not expand to the sale of illicit drugs, so Martin's store is operating allegedly illegally. He told Vice News he opened the store because he wants to give people drugs without adulterants. In total, a record 1,644 people died from illicit drugs in the first nine months of last year. The drug deaths are the leading cause of unnatural death in BC, with 10,500 people dying since a public health emergency was declared in 2016. Martin says he will sell users a max of 2.5 grams of each drug. That's the amount someone can have without facing criminal consequences under the decriminalization program. He also said he's charging street prices with uh, cocaine and meth going for $90 and $50 a gram respectively. And like all responsible business owners, he is going to validate IDs to ensure customers are 18 and have them sign a waiver that they've already used the drugs in the past that they're going to purchase from him. So he claims he's not interested in uh, being the first time uh, salesman. Is this a victory for capitalism or a failure for British Columbia, Rachel? I definitely think that this is a failure for British Columbia. I don't really buy the argument of safe supply. You know, I understand people are like, we have so many drug-related deaths, we need to find a way to curb that. But I am strongly in the camp that treatment is the solution on these issues. I do not think that offering people a safe supply of drug is going to incentivize them or encourage them to end their drug addiction. I think we're going to see the opposite, where they're constantly going to be looking for that next high to the point that a lot of drug users are turning to fentanyl because it's a high that you can't get from other drugs like cocaine, like MDMA. So what we're seeing is people start with these smaller drugs and eventually they continue moving down the path to harder drugs looking for a better high. And so this is to me very problematic. It's insane that he's been able to open up the store. It is operating illegally. This decriminalization pilot program did not extend to selling drugs. I'm interested to see if the BC police actually try to shut this door down and how long it's able to operate. Well, I think that's going to be very fascinating to watch for because when a lot of cannabis stores were operating illegally, be they in British Columbia or elsewhere, uh, you'd see these waves of police crackdowns where they would raid these things and shut them down. But a lot of the time they would just let them operate. They would just let them operate and they'd get, you know, maybe weeks or months without anyone getting involved and then they'd be shut down and then they'd reopen somewhere else. So I, I don't know if it's going to be the same here. My question on this 
is whether we have a, a cultural shift happening right here, where uh, regardless of what the law says, these types of really hard, serious drugs are, are being profoundly normalized, either in BC or elsewhere. I definitely think that that cultural shift has been happening for a long time, especially for addicts and within the drug community, they've already been sort of pushing that next thing. And I recently saw a small clip of Aaron Gunn's new documentary, Canada is Dying, which I believe is going to be released this month all across the country. And there's some shocking revelations in it about the age at which young people are starting to consume drugs. Some of them as young as 12, 13 are now taking really hard drugs in BC and likely elsewhere across Canada as well. So I think that cultural shift has already happened. But for those of us who aren't users, I just don't think we're aware of what's really going on on the ground. I think that we're just starting to get a sense now of exactly how bad the problem is likely in part to the fact that someone has now opened a physical store selling these extremely hard substances, and as well to the work of Aaron Gunn exposing some of these issues. And then over here in Alberta, of course, we have Marshall Smith. He's a recovered drug addict. He lived on the streets of Vancouver for four years. Now he's facilitating Alberta's drug program, which is essentially one that focuses on treatment and recovery, not one that focuses on safe supply and safe injection sites. So I think the public is finally getting its first taste and its first look at what's really going on in the streets. And people are frankly horrified and they rightly should be so. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night, ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. At a press conference in Calgary on Thursday, Alberta NDP leader Rachel Notley claimed to have heard from scores of Albertans who voted Conservative all their life, but can't bring themselves to vote for the United Conservative Party's new leader. Notley said she's seeking to attract voters who feel like the UCP has abandoned the values of Conservatives and who are, quote, looking at Danielle Smith and thinking that she doesn't represent you or your priorities. Notley also said, quote, you have every right to be concerned about the positions that my opponent has taken on a number of fronts. According to the Alberta NDP leader, so-called conservatives have said Smith is a, quote, risky choice, who spent too much time in her career, quote, tearing down healthcare, tearing down science. Notley made the comments after weeks of banning conservative media outlets from NDP media availabilities. She even had private security remove the counter-signal editor-in-chief Kian Bexty and Rebel News reporter Alex Stalwell from an April 17 press conference. Andrew, I think I could accept the argument that there's a bunch of people who consider themselves more progressive conservatives, who aren't sure how they feel about Danielle Smith, maybe even to the point that they don't want to show up at the polls and vote for her. However, I have a really hard time buying this idea that someone who's voted conservative all their life and who is still conservative would vote for the Alberta NDP in the upcoming provincial election. That seems like a very, very big jump to me. Certainly people do switch their votes. I mean, I met during the Freedom Convoy protest people that had voted liberal in 2019 and even 2021 in a couple of cases, and then all of a sudden said they would never do it again. I, I know that in the last, uh, not the last election, but two elections ago in Alberta, there were longtime conservatives that may have voted NDP to elect Rachel Notley to power the first time. But there has to be, I think, a, a convergence of circumstances for this to happen that I'm not seeing right now. 
now. I mean, Danielle Smith is actually quite popular among grassroots conservatives in Alberta. She's uh, perhaps not as popular within some of the establishment circles of conservative politics, but uh, even they're not voting NDP this time around. Exactly. And there certainly can be an ideological shift where someone changes their position and their views on politics and decides to vote for the NDP. But at that point, I simply wouldn't consider those people conservatives. You know, the other really interesting thing about this Rachel Notley press conference is here she is making an appeal to conservatives where she has denied conservative reporters access from her media availabilities for weeks on end. And so it seems a little bit silly here she is making this bid when the easiest way for her to get her message to conservative voters would be to have conservative media printing that message and showing it to their readers and their viewers. You know, you were on that call yesterday. You waited to get a question into Rachel Nolly at that press conference and you weren't granted one. And that's a similar situation with what we've seen with conservative reporters for the last couple of weeks. They're typically just barred from her press conferences entirely. And if you call in on the phone, you might not get through and you're certainly not going to get a question in. So it seems a little bit ridiculous that here she is making this appeal to so-called conservative voters and she won't grant any conservative media outlets access. And among all of us conservative media outlets, there is a wide range of views stemming from more centrist conservative to much more right wing. And so here she is just kind of ignoring all of us and I think ignoring conservative voters in the process. Yeah, and just on the note of that press conference yesterday, uh, she called on one mainstream media reporter twice. Well, I was still on hold to get, you know, one lowly question to Rachel Notley, which was never granted. And again, I mean, she can take questions from whoever she wants. She can avoid whoever she wants. But it is a bit rich, as you say, that she is on one hand claiming to court conservative voters, but also doing everything she can to not speak to conservative voters. On Wednesday, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau blamed CSIS for the fact that Conservative MP Michael Chong was never notified about the Chinese regime targeting him and his overseas family. According to a 2021 intelligence report, however, the matter was brought to the attention of Jody Thomas, Justin Trudeau's national security and intelligence advisor. Chong told the House of Commons Thursday that Thomas informed him of this in a phone call. Uh, Chong did not find out about the regime's intentions to target him and his family until after the Globe and Mail reported on it this week. CSIS confirmed the report shortly after. Trudeau claimed CSIS, quote, didn't feel that it reached a threshold that required them to pass it up out of CSIS, unquote. However, Chong says the call he received and the information he received from the National Security Advisor is at odds with Trudeau's claims. Uh, This China scandal has been, uh, in terms of news, the the gift that keeps on giving. There's been more more to it almost every week. And here we have yet another one, which really shows a direct contradiction between what Trudeau said and what the intelligence community has said. But do you think this actually is going to make a difference when, by all accounts, the previous versions of the story haven't really landed politically against Trudeau. The question here is the question that we often see when we're looking at a scandal that involves the prime minister. What did Trudeau know and when did he know it? The main question everyone's looking at is, did he know about the threats against Michael Chong's family? And I think a lot of people think, well, of course he did. How could he not have known when his security advisor was even aware? But of course, that would be very difficult to prove unless the prime minister openly admits that or another source sort of leaks it. 
So I think it's just one of those issues, like so many of the scandals that we see with the prime minister, that's sort of convoluted and there's a lot of layers to it and it's hard to exactly pin down what's going on. And I think that's one of the reasons the scandals haven't landed. A lot of the scandals that we've seen with Trudeau have just been so in-depth and often very kind of white-collar scandals that it's just not as simple as to say, well, he stole. And, you know, there's a lot of rule-breaking and ethical violations. But I think in terms of the broader Canadian public, you know, I don't think they are paying attention to these types of issues as much because it doesn't really affect them. And people right now are really concerned about those bread-and-butter issues like inflation, you know, paying their bills, public safety. This is a huge issue for Canadians and for politicos. Certainly people realize the implications of this, but for the average Canadian, no, I don't think it's landing. That's it for today. And don't forget to check in at www.tnc.news throughout the day for all the news you need to know. And if you're able, please consider supporting independent media over at donate.tnc.news. Thanks for listening and have a great day.